You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, senior contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Smoke Signals podcast. Uh, joining me, as always, is uh, IBI editor in chief Justin Lada, who's feeling a little bit under the weather, but uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, talk some tribe here. And uh, you know, it's another up and down week. They're half game out of the uh, wild card race, five games out of the division. Uh, it's really this is going to come down to the wire, but uh, Justin, how you doing today, other than feeling a little bit out of it? Yeah, I'm doing okay. It's, it's been a rough uh, 24 hours after we recorded the other night with uh, uh, the Final Report podcast once we got through that, but uh, hopefully, you know, an Indians win and the Indians get some wild card help. Uh, I'll feel a little bit better after that. <laughs> yeah, and just to uh, provide, I mean, obviously when people listen to this, they'll have known who... Uh, who won those games, but the Indians are playing the Tigers tonight. Uh, no score in the third inning as we record this. Well, actually, uh, it looks like the Tigers just scored, uh, so it's one nothing. So they uh, got that. You got the uh, Twins playing the White Sox. No score. That game just started. And then you got the Rays and the Dodgers playing later tonight, as well as the uh, – and then the A's and the uh, Royals actually played earlier, and the A's won. So uh, not much help from the Royals there. The A's are continuing to play exceptional baseball. And so ultimate scoreboard watching is what we're doing right now. And hopefully the Rays are able to lose tonight and the Indians can win so they can retake one of those wild card spots. Uh, As for this week, though, the Indians uh, lost two out of three to the Twins in a uh, series that included a doubleheader because... The first game of the series got postponed due to storms, and because of that, the Indians have fallen to five games back in the division. That elimination number is down to seven, so, you know, the division hopes are slowly uh, slipping out of their grip, grasp here, and uh, not totally out of the realm of possibility, but a lot has to go right for the Indians, and a lot has to go wrong for the Twins at this point for it to become a, a reality uh, so the focus right now seems to be shifting towards the wild card, and as I mentioned before, the Indians are half game back of the Rays for the second wild card, as the A's have taken the top spot. Um, any uh, any thoughts on uh, what's going on in these races right now? I mean, do you believe that the uh, division race is uh, nothing more than a uh, pipe dream at this point? Oh, yeah, I think we said last week that the uh, the Twins had such an easy schedule coming up after they were done with the Indians. Um, they play Kansas City twice. They play Chicago. There's Yeah, there's just no way they were going to um, struggle so much. Even if the Indians swept them over the weekend, you know, they would have been a half game out. But even if the Indians swept them, they still needed the, tight, or the, still needed the Twins to be really terrible against some bad teams. And that just seemed pretty re- unrealistic, especially with the Indians playing – Philadelphia, who's uh, coming up, who they're still fighting for a playoff spot potentially, and then finishing the year in Washington, who currently holds a playoff spot and is trying to hang on to that. I just, it was going to be too much to, to overcome. And then once they'd lost two or three, that was just really the end of it. And 
Right. Uh, the more injuries pile up for the Indians, the harder it is to 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 mount that comeback even more. Yeah, we'll get to another uh, round of unfortunate injury circumstances here in a minute, but just wanted to kind of uh, top off that point about how the uh, Twins, uh, that Twin series really kind of put it out of reach because the last thing the Indians needed to do in either one of the series this month against the Twins was to uh, lose either one of those. Um they won the first one, two out of three. That that was the minimum of what they needed to do to stay relevant in in the division race. And then they lost two out of three. That's, they just could not afford to do that. And unfortunately, it happened. And uh, like I said, something crazy has to happen for that to still the division to still be a factor. But um, yeah, it's looking more like the wild card at this point. And as you said, the Indian schedule coming up after the Tigers. You got the Phillies, then the White Sox, who are still a pesky team, even though they're not. They're not a great team this year, and then the Nationals. So it's not an easy uh, stretch by uh, any means this last uh, week and a half here of the season. But uh, let's go ahead and get to the news of the week, which is uh, the unfortunate and ill-timed injury to Jason Kipnis, who, uh, much like uh, much like Jose Ramirez, uh, uh, broke his hamate bone. And he will be done for the season. Uh, the Indians didn't beat around the bush. He's going to be out four to six weeks, which uh, will put him well into October before he, if not the end of October, before he's even cleared to resume baseball activity. So it's pretty much a done deal at this point that he's done. And, you know, he called a press conference uh, and basically answered any questions, talking about his future. And he was a uh, pretty forward and saying like you know there's doesn't look likely that they're going to pick up my option and this may be the end of uh, my time in Cleveland so it's so unfortunate I mean he did get a double on the uh, at bat that caused the injury and he was able to hustle it out and uh, get to second base before he had to be taken out of that game uh, against the twins but man just not the way you want to go out uh, with the team that you came up with and spent so many years with. And unfortunately, that's just the way it seems like it's going to play out for Kipnis. And it might be uh, time to move on to the next chapter in his career. Yeah, it's really unfortunate just the way it ends. I mean, you knew it was going to probably be the end at the end of the year anyway with the, his uh, option being so much and how he had just not played as well as he has in a couple of years due to injuries and other things. Um, and just, you know, taking off the uh, writer slash media hat that we do, you know, we wear here sometimes and putting on the fan hat, you know, Jason Kipnis was part of the Indians before any of us were professionals or semi-professionals in this industry. And personally, just, I remember 2013, I remember that picture of him and Michael Brantley sitting in the dugout um, when it was pretty clear the Indians were going to lose the race for nothing. Um, just how defeated Kipnis looked and just you could just tell it, it bothered him so much that they got they they had that run at the end of the year to win 10 in a row just to get in and then for them to get shut out in the wild card game you could tell right there that was just who Jason Kipnis was he took it hard personally and he always had that drive to win and then uh, playing on if anyone remembers the picture of his ankle after Lindor stepped on it celebrating the LCS in 2016 it was just a big black and or purple and blue ball of bones or tendons or whatever and it was just disgusting to look at and 
he had a great World Series run, and then I said it today, his last hit Sunday as an Indian was a double off the wall at left field, and it, from the press conference, it sounds like before he, he hit that, he knew that he broke the handmate. Like, he knew it was something was not right, and he was probably going to be done, and he said he, he weighed off the trainers and Tito and wanted to stay in there and, and see what he could do, and if he blew it out, he blew it out, and <laughs> the guy hit a double off the wall with a with a broken handmate. That's, that's pretty impressive, and that's just the kind of way I'll remember Jason Kipnis is the guy who just gave it everything and played through whatever he could to try to help the team win and was just all about winning and, and love Cleveland. It's definitely not the way he wanted to go out, but, um, you know, as you said, hitting a double with uh, a, the broken hand, that's that's something that uh, that baseball lore is made out of. So if, he, if this is the end of his Indians tenure, then, you know, at least he'll have that kind of I, – I know it wasn't – a key moment in, in a key game or anything like that, but there's if there's something to salvage out of his last moment, his last his potentially last at bat with the Indians. At least there's that because, it, as you said, it just exemplifies who he was. He was a guy who gave it all for his team, left it all on the field, and um, he did. He gave it all for the city, for the fans. He's was a great ambassador for uh, Cleveland and. And he's going to be a guy who, who's going to be missed. You know, he had a few exceptional years uh, mixed in with some solidly above average years and a couple of down years. But uh, that such is the nature of the game. And you know, I th- I'd like to think he would be remembered. I mean, we know we talked about this a few weeks ago, talking about Jason Kipnis and where how he'll be remembered at as an Indian, I think that he'll, I think that he'll go down as uh, one of the more memorable Indians in recent memory. And, um, I think that once his playing career is over, no matter where he ends up and where he plays the rest of his career, I'm sure Cleveland will always hold a special place in his heart with him. And I'm sure he'll be back. I'm, he's, I'm, I could see him following the, uh, following the, uh, Carlos Baerga route where, uh, he becomes the new, uh, public ambassador for the team and becomes involved in doing public appearances and uh, charity work and, and such. I, I could definitely see that for Kipnis because he's that kind of guy. So, uh, But, yeah, again, just uh, we definitely uh, felt feel the pain with him We don't because this is not the way the story was supposed to end in Cleveland for Kipnis. Not at all. And, and I, I could also see him coming back next year, to be honest, just listening to him talk today. Uh, to Andre Knott and, and the press uh, before the game, you know, he he was pretty realistic about his, his um, free agent value, you know, and he understands that guys his age who performed like him aren't exactly going out and getting big contracts. They're not getting even major league deals sometimes. Um, but he also mentioned that, hey, some of those guys may be asking for too much. And he had said, you know, it won't be too hard. Just get me to sign the dotted line. They'll have a number. I'll have a number. And, um, we'll see if it matches. You know, if the Indians come back and they decline the option and they decide that maybe they don't have an answer for second base next year that they like, um, or they just, you know, like this is leadership or like he can maybe bounce back for one more year. Um, I, I really feel like if the Indians give Kipnis um, a fair one-year offer, you know, he wants to try to finish what he started here. And he said that today. You know, I wish we could have finished what we started and, the Indians still have a chance at winning the division next year. There's no reason they shouldn't. Um, so if the number's there and, and the Indians don't find they have a better option at second base, I could see a one-year reunion next year. 
Yeah, and I could definitely see that. I didn't get a chance to watch the press conference. I went back through and read some of the quotes from it later on. Um, but that's interesting uh, to hear because I think that he might realize that you know the contract he got from the Indians was probably going to be the big payday of his career. So he may not be the uh, guy who's going out ambitious to get another big paycheck somewhere. And um, so I could definitely see him coming back. Maybe they decline his option and renegotiate a one-year a one year deal. Um, I could definitely see that. I could see him testing the waters and seeing what else is out there. But then again, it also depends on what the Indians' interest is in bringing him back because, you know, who kn- knows how they feel long-term about the uh, about the second-base position. Maybe they feel like uh, Jose could go back to second base. Maybe they feel like Yu Chang or... Uh, or Christian Arroyo can come in and be uh, be an everyday option at second base. But um, so yeah, it's, I think that uh, Kibnis would definitely want to come back. But the question is, do the Indians think that um, they could bring him back, or do they want to bring him back? Um, I think it's 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 going to be an interesting set of circumstances that need to come together in the right way for uh, the two parties to come together. Obviously, there's great mutual respect between both of them, the, the Indians and Kipnis, so there's I don't think there's anything wrong with their relationship. I just wonder if uh, the Indians are in a position like they have been all year, bringing up all these young players, um, if they're going to be in a position to be ready to move on and get somebody younger in there and try uh, keeping an eye towards the future. Yeah, and he's definitely a leader. I think a lot of guys respect him too. Like you said, they can move guys around, and um, the way they've been not playing Yu Chang recently makes me think they want to go in a different direction. So we'll we'll see when the time comes. I think some. I think Jason Kimmis is playing baseball next year somewhere. I don't think he's done. It's just a matter of oh, where it is, and yeah. if it's in the majors or the minors. Yeah, he'll definitely be. I, I'll. I think it's pretty safe to say he'll be in the majors somewhere next year. Um, I I see him coming back to the Indians before he signs a minor league deal and and doesn't break camp with somebody, uh, so uh, that's that's the way I uh, see it. But um, all, all our best wishes to Kipnis if this is the indeed the last we see of him in Cleveland at least this time around. I mean, you never know. We've seen in the past where guys come back later on in their careers, but um, for now, um, all our best wishes are go out to him and his recovery and. We're, our respect and appreciation also goes out to him uh, for all that he's given the city and the team and given to the fans because, um, you know, while he's not always been a fan favorite at times because of his struggles, at, at times he's overall, in the end, he's going to be one of the uh, one of the top players in this uh, of this generation to play uh at Progressive Field for the tribe, so definitely, uh, definitely want to make sure that is uh, out there and known. So, uh, some other notes I wanted to get to: um, Bradley Zimmer called up from Columbus. Uh, boy, we talked about this on the Farm Report podcast, Justin, uh, in the season wrap up. By the way, if you haven't uh, listened to that, go ahead and give that a listen. We uh, did a little bit of a longer podcast to kind of recap all the top developments and storylines from the farm system uh, that's out on the site now. You can check it out. Uh, so I highly recommend it. But uh, talk about a guy who had a long uphill journey back to the majors, and now he's in Cleveland again. And at, 
at a time when we weren't sure what his status was, if he was even going to play for the Tribe this year. But he's back now in September and hoping to make an impact. But how about uh, Bradley Zimmer uh, coming all the way back from the multiple injuries he's had, missing almost a calendar year of playing uh, Major League Baseball and uh, work, working his butt off to get all the way back to Cleveland. And as we mentioned before, he looks like a little bit of a little bit of a retooled hitter at the plate with a new stance and trying to correct some of the uh, uh, swing and miss issues he's had in the past, and we'll see if that comes to fruition, but Zimmer back in Cleveland, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know how much we're going to see of him play. I think it's likely that we're going to see him just be maybe a pinch runner and might get out there as a defensive replacement at some point. I don't think you're going to see him play a ton right now because he just doesn't have the reps, I don't think. Um he hasn't seen major league pitching with his new stance. Uh, if, if you haven't listened to the Farm Report podcast, you haven't seen any uh, video. He's straight up now at the plate. He used to be wide open with that, you know, right leg all the way outside the first, almost outside the first base, outside the uh, batter's box towards the first base dugout. Now he's straight up and kind of looks like Ken Griffey holding the bat in there. So we'll see what that looks like. But yeah, I mean, good for him just to get back because, as we know from guys, you know, before just going through multiple injuries and, and having setbacks and you're trying to get back and spending all that time in Arizona and the spring training complex away from your teammates and not in game competition, just working on rehabbing and not really baseball related stuff is a mental grind. And we've seen too many guys do it in the last couple of years and heard them say just how tough it is and how sick of it they are. And, and then at least he's out of that. So that's, that's a positive for the Indians and for him. So uh, let's go ahead and looking to the crystal ball for a second into 2020. Um, let's just say for the sake of argument, the Indians don't resign Puig and he's one and done after this season with the Indians. Uh, so looking at the outfield for 2020, if Zimmer is healthy still and ready to contribute uh, at opening day, uh, how do you see the outfield situation shaking out with him? Because you know Mercado is not going anywhere in center field. Uh, Jordan Luplo's played pretty well this year. Uh, and then before Nate Quinn got hurt, he was playing pretty well. You would think those two would still be in a platoon situation. Greg Allen's had some good moments. Daniel Johnson's getting close to being ready to contribute. Um, so where does Zimmer fit in, in your eyes, heading into 2020, if everybody's healthy and er- and all things being equal? I think it's going to depend on what happens with Jake Bowers. Um because, you know, Franville Reyes is kind of installed as the DH. Santana's going to be at first base. And like you said, Oscar Mercado has center field nailed down. Not having Tyler Naquin until next summer um, definitely helps Zimmer's chances. So I think it kind of comes down to him and Jake Bowers and, and how they look in spring training, what the Indians want to do. Um, you know Jordan Luplo will be here, like you said. I could see Zimmer platooning with, with Luplo a little bit. Um, I don't know what to make of Greg Allen right now. He might be on the roster just as a fifth guy. It would be pretty surprising to see them keep Daniel Johnson on the major league roster out of April because they just don't do that unless there's a serious injury situation like there was when they had to bring Naquin up in April of 2016 uh, or he just has this great camp, which Naquin also did too. But uh, I could see Zimmer, if, if things go well in spring training, kind of sliding into a platoon role with, with Jordan Luplo and, and – right or left field, and hopefully that uh, keeps him healthy. Yeah, hopefully, and boy, you just brought up 2016, I'm trying to remember who was in that uh, opening day, 
opening day outfield because obviously Colin Gill and Marlon Bird, I think. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Colin Calgill and Marlon Bird were on, were in the corners, and and uh, Naquin was in center. So tells you how much opening the opening day roster really plays into the rest of the season. Jeez, uh, uh, just brought back that memory. Uh, but other than that, though, uh, I think that Naquin's injury definitely plays into this because um, he. I just saw the uh, news update that he had successful surgery, but he's going to be out uh, seven to nine months. So that definitely puts him into um, middle of next summer, probably around June, July sometime. So uh, that definitely helps out Zimmer as far as his chances go. And the biggest uh, thing that's going to affect this, I think, is Daniel Johnson. I agree with you that he's probably not going to be in the opening day outfield, but... He's not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to hold him back for very long, especially if he continues to hit the ball like he did all season between Akron and Columbus. So, I mean, it's good to have depth, and I guess if you have to keep him there as an extra option, you can. But um, if somebody in Cleveland isn't producing, you got to think that Daniel Johnson might be one of the first calls up. So um, that's going to be interesting to see moving forward. Um, into 2020, how the outfield shapes up as the months and as the weeks and months go on, and how you know Naquin slides back into the mix, and then of course how Zimmer and uh, and Allen factor in as well, because I think between those three, uh, Johnson, Zimmer, and uh, probably Jake Bowers too, I would say, uh, and then Allen. That, that's going to be the those are going to be the wild cards in this outfield because the other guys, as we mentioned, Mercado, Luplo, and um, potentially Naquin, when once he gets back there, they look like they're going to be this in the starting outfield no matter what. So, um, but that's a discussion, of course, for uh, next season in 2020. So that's that's something we'll keep an eye on as the off season goes on. But um, we. Also mentioned in the farm report uh, a few days ago that James Karinchak made his Indians debut, and he looked just like typical James Karinchak. I mean, he didn't walk anybody, which is great. Inning in a third, he uh, struck out three, uh, didn't allow a hit, and you know he watching the highlights, he was pretty pumped out there to get out and uh, get those strikeouts against the Twins. So uh, great to see him get out there and, and pitch an inning in a third, and now. Heading down this last week and a half, I wonder how they're going to mix him in. It's not a lot of time to really get him seasoned in key situations, but um, definitely exciting to see him get out there at all because, uh, you know, we had predicted him getting up to Cleveland uh, w- way before this point, but obviously injuries played a factor in that as well. But uh, Karen Shack getting uh, into the game against the Twins and uh, dominating uh, in his first outing as a major leaguer uh, looked pretty good and uh, possibly a preview of what's to come uh, with him in the Indians bullpen. Yeah, he looked, I think he looked exactly as you would think right away. He was up a little bit high with some fastballs and um, what I think it was Eddie Rosario hit a fly ball to center field that almost got out, but it just died at the warning track. And then after that, he just blew everybody away and his curveball was so filthy on one of them that Eric Oz, who had caught him all year in triple A, couldn't block one of them on a strikeout, and, and the guy got to first base. Uh, but everything was 97 with the fastball, and the breaking ball, he was able to throw it high over the plate, and he was able to throw it low and get guys to chase. 
and I, they hope he gets some more leverage opportunities uh, in the near future because he came out and I think he was exactly as advertised uh, in this first outing, and I was glad to see that. It was really exciting to see him make his debut, and you know we've all been pining for it for about a month now, and we'll see if he convinces Francona that he can be a part of um, a big a big part of the bullpen down the stretch. Let's go ahead and look into the future again for a second here. Just quickly, um, I'll just ask you straight up. By this point next season, do you think James Karinczak will be the closer of the Indians? Ooh, um, that's a good question. I, I can't answer that. I don't know because we haven't seen Brad Hand since he's been shut down, and um, he's not going to have any trade value. I assume the Indians will prefer the veteran coming into spring training next year. So this time next year, if – if James Karinczak is a closer this time next year, I get a feeling that the Indians may not be in a great spot because they're going to be depending on on Brad Hand um, to re- rebound next season and, and help them win a division title again. So I'm going to go ahead and say no, that they're going to try to work him in. You know, Cody Allen was worked in as a setup guy until Chris Perez completely fell apart at the end of 2013. I think Allen was up in 2012, so I'm going to go ahead and say no. I'm going to go say 2021 is when... James Karen Jack is officially the closer. Okay, I can see them following a similar trajectory with Allen, kind of uh, working him in as the setup man, probably for Brad Hand. Uh, can't forget guys like uh, Nick Sandlin and Robert Broom, too, because you got to think that they'll be in the mix at some point next year as well. So uh, I think these next couple of years, 2020 and 2021, I think this is going to be, uh, if you're into rebuilding a bullpen and seeing – uh, who's going to be the next uh, big late inning arms for the Indians? This could be these could be fun years for you because um, just I think starting with those three, uh, uh, Chak, Sandlin, and Broom, you've got three pretty good uh, viable major league options, and then obviously the secondary options like Kyle Nelson and Jared Robinson and Dalbert Siri are all in the mix as well. So um, I would say that um, at least by at the at minimum next year we'll see Karen, more of Karen Chak and then Nick Sandlin, maybe Robert Broom as well. But um, if we're as far as uh, building a new bullpen, I think twenty twenty is going to be a big year as far as that's concerned. Even if Brad Hand remains the closer throughout the duration of the season, but I think we'll see more of the young guys get mixed in. Yeah, they won't have Tyler Clippard. They won't have Dan Otero probably. Um, Tyler Olson's out of options. They still have AJ Cole and. Uh, Nick Goody, so they still have some options, but yeah, I agree. I think there's a chance that they might, you might see Karen Check start the season in the bullpen in, in next spring, and maybe one more guy gets called up throughout the year at some point. All right, so we'll be monitoring that. A uh, couple more notes um, with Kipnis going down to, with the injury. Andrew Velasquez was called up, and um, looks like him and uh, him and Mike Freeman are going to be taking over the primary. Uh, second and third base duties well I don't know what's going on with Yu Chang but confidence seems to be on uh, thin ice with him right now I don't know what, exactly what to make of it but uh, he was not playing that great or at least not hitting that great I know that much but uh, we'll see how they continue to mix and match going down the stretch here with roster expansion but um, so Velasquez called up and then also I want to mention Shane Bieber became the youngest Indians pitcher to log 200 innings since CC Sabathia 
back in 2001, and then also became the youngest pitcher with both 200 innings pitch and 200 strikeouts since Sam McDowell in 1964. So some uh, some pretty nice company to join there, and I think that uh, Shane Bieber is only going to continue to to rise up as one of the Indians' uh, future aces. Him and Clevenger seem to have really nailed down those top two spots in the rotation. Yeah, I can't believe what a rise has been for Bieber. I mean, I'm not surprised because you want to know what last year or was it maybe 2017? He threw like 175 innings in the minors. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. The Indians usually don't let guys, especially minor leaguers in their first full year, log heavy innings. And he threw, yeah, he threw like 170, 175 innings his first full year in the major, in the pros. Um, so I'm not surprised he was able to build up to this and, Obviously, you're surprised the 200 strikeouts because I don't think anybody thought Shane Bieber would be a 200 strikeout guy, but he's really evolved. I'm really glad to see he's added, you know, some durability to the talent, which is really good and exciting for the future. And uh, now next year, you 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 add another, you know, Bieber came in the year as what the fifth starter, and I know we all knew he was better than a fifth starter, but now it's almost like he could be a number two on a lot of teams and. You add that to what the Indians have already had in the past, where you've had Carrasco or Bauer and some other guys who were way better than where they were slotted in a rotation and Clevenger too. And now you can count on Bieber every fifth day, just like you could Kluber, to give you a chance to win. And uh, it, it continues to amaze me just how well Bieber has developed from where he came from, and you know, being a walk-on in college. And for as much as we all liked him as a prospect, I don't think anybody saw this coming. So it was uh, 2017 where he threw 173 and a third innings between Lake County, Lynchburg, and Akron. That was his big, uh, uh, pardon the pun, leap year where he went uh, three levels in uh, two years and then uh, in, in one season. And then, of course, 2018 went from Akron all the way up to Cleveland. And, uh, yeah, and just for uh, – just for reference, uh, in 277 career minor league innings, he only struck out 260. So far in 316 career major league innings, he struck out 363. He's going to finish the year with over 250 strikeouts. So he's at 245 and 201 in a third innings right now. That's just unbelievable. For a guy who doesn't, you know, who doesn't have, I don't really know if I'd say Bieber has nasty stuff. I mean, he's got a really good curveball. The slider's good. The changeup's gotten better. He spots the fastball, but I would say everything he throws is just above average. Not like, not a nasty, you know, like I think I've said this before. He doesn't have a Carlos Carrasco like breaking ball. He doesn't have Mike Clevenger's fastball. Um, he never had even Corey Kluber's curveball, but he's gotten there on, on having, you know, plus plus command of every single pitch and knowing how to pitch and learning to sequence using all four of his pitches when he has to. And, you know, he just does enough. And it's, like I said, it's unbelievable that he's as good as he is um, and using all of his tools at his disposal um, to the full extent. Remember when uh, Terry Francona made the comparison uh, saying that Shane Bieber, at least as far as his work ethic was concerned, was comparable to Corey Kluber? And everybody thought he was crazy to even – compare him to Corey Kluber and anything. Well, looking at these numbers, these are Corey Kluber-type numbers he's putting up this season. So, uh, you know, he may not have the kind of stuff that Kluber has, and he may never have that kind of stuff that Kluber, that Kluber did in his prime. But uh, 
Bieber right now is by far, uh, I mean, I, it's close between him and Clevenger because it seems like you go from one to the other, from one night to the next, and you don't know who has the best stuff and who has the most upside because both of them are so good. But Bieber has been probably uh the brightest rising star uh, for the Indians this year, and one of the brighter stars in all of baseball to rise up this season. So it's, I, I still say he's going to finish uh, top five in the Cy Young voting by season's end. So that's going to be exciting, and uh, see what uh, he's just getting started. See, so uh, you know if the sun is setting on Corey Kluber's time in Cleveland, and and the future still is in, seems to be in good hands between both Bieber and Clevenger, and you got more guys coming up too who could possibly help uh, between McKenzie, Allen, Moss, and of course uh, the guys helping this year, Plezak and uh, Savale as well. So uh, again, we I know we talked about this before, but um, who would have thought that you know we were dreading the day that uh, that Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco and Trevor Bauer weren't going to be in the rotation anymore. Uh, or weren't going to be the uh, ace-level pitchers that they were anymore. But, um, you know, the transition, at least it appears to be like it's not going to be as uh, as rough as we thought it was because the Indians have really made a concerted effort of developing starting pitching in recent years. Yeah, and now they can afford to bring along guys like Plesak and Savali, the way they brought along Bieber um, last year and the way they brought along Clevenger early in his career, too. They were able to slide into the back end of the rotation. And um, I think we talked about it last week, but well, you know, let's show some love to Adam Plutko. He's you know, going to be part of the rotation next year, barring anything unexpected, I think. And you know, he doesn't have – he's not going to be Shane Beaver ever, and he's not going to be probably not even you know, a Plesak or a Savali. But he's been really, really effective for them. And I think part of his presence this year and, and – how much he's pitched well and consistent for them has allowed them to to work in guys like uh, Plesak and Savali comfortably, and then you know they're skipping uh, Plesak start this week to watch his innings and his pitch count. Um, and Plutko has been a big part of that as well. He's a new Josh Tomlin, and and you know what? Some people some people might uh, shudder to think of that because they don't have great memories of Josh Tomlin, but I mean that in the most complimentary way possible because uh, he ex- he may not be the exact same type of pitcher that Josh Tomlin was, but uh, he d- exemplifies everything that Josh Tomlin brought to uh, the Indians when he, he was uh, pitching well. He was a guy who went out there, he didn't put up great numbers, but he gave you a chance to win every time and gave you innings and gave you... Uh, his best effort each time out. So uh, I definitely put Plutko in that same category. Yeah, I mean, he's a lot of 22 home runs this year, which isn't crazy given the the ball and the environment now. So he's not even giving up home runs at the rate Tomlin did at the end. So he's, uh, you know, managing to to be effective and try to keep guys off the barrel just like Tomlin did. All right, so let's talk a little bit about on the uh, offensive side of the ball. You know, I know Kipnis went down, Ramirez is out, and – the two key hitters in your lineup have gone down, but uh, thanks to Oscar Mercado and Rob- Roberto Perez, who've been hitting the ball very well in September, uh, things are still uh, somewhat on solid ground for the offense right now because Mercado in 15 September games is batting 351 with a 418 on base and a 579 slugging percentage. He's got a couple homers, five doubles and a triple. He's driven in eight 
And I like this these, this number. He's walked seven times and struck out 11, so good numbers there. And then you got Roberto Perez, who in 11 games is uh, batting over 300 as well. Um, he's got a, uh, a couple home runs, uh, 10 RBIs, uh, two walks, nine strikeouts. So, uh, you know, those, those are two guys who were really slumping in the dog days there, uh, late July and into August. And now they're starting to come out of it and couldn't come at a better time with not only the injuries, but also the Indians fighting for their playoff lives. Yeah. Mercado's had to battle the normal, you know, rookie ups and downs, but he's been solid in center field and, uh, Fangraphs has him at seven defensive runs saved in center field. That's huge, uh, especially considering how bad center field was last year and um, just, you know, how good Leonis Martin was early in the year. And then, uh, you know, like I said, he's riding the waves of being a rookie, the ups and downs. And he's he's really managed, uh, you know, save for I think August was kind of a tough month for him. Um, just looking at it, yeah, 43 weighted runs created plus and, in August, that doesn't surprise me. But yeah, it's 155 this month. Like you said, 10% walk rate this month. That's the highest so far this year by far. Absolutely good to see. And same with Perez. Perez staying in the lineup is really big. He's been hurt. I mean, he's taken foul balls off his head, off other parts of his body. And um, for him to stay in the lineup and get hot again has been big because their solutions behind him are, are Kevin Pulecki and Eric Haas. And if, if Boy, if Roberto Perez had to miss any time at this point or at any time this second half even, the Indians would have been in trouble because I just don't trust those two guys in the major league level offensively. As so, much as uh, I like Eric Haas even. Right, and uh, well, yeah, it's just a matter of playing time, and Haas hasn't gotten that. Pulecki is who he is. He's not going to be a starting caliber catcher and somebody you rely on day in and day out, maybe catching the ball, but not definitely not at the plate. Um, Perez, by the way, batting over 400 so far this month, 429, uh, 47 on base, 629 slugging. So uh, he's got an OPS over 1,000. Mercado is just a hair under 1,000 in OPS. So both of them playing really well this month. And between them and uh, Jordan Luplo and uh, Yasiel Puig, they've been carrying the offense so far this month. Puig has been hitting the ball well. Uh, Luplo's really seen the ball well since coming back. He's got six walks versus five strikeouts this month while hitting a couple homers and driving in seven. So I think he deserves to be mentioned in this group as well because, you know, he's been – he was out for a little while with injury, but definitely a welcome sight back in the lineup, especially the way he's hitting the ball. Yeah, and they, they need everybody right now. They need Perez to get hot. They need Mercado to get hot. They need Puig to get hot, and he's been hot and cold since he's been here just like his whole career. So with all the injuries, they need everybody to be clicking right now at the same time to kind of survive the injuries they've been dealt. All right. Um, before we get to the end of the show here, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, there's a week and a half left in the season. The Indians are half a game back in the wild card race. They're five games back in the division. We already talked about how that's pretty much out of their reach at this point. Um, with all the injuries, Kipnis is out, Ramirez is uh, progressing, he's fielding ground balls and gripping the bat, but still no timetable on his return, and the Indians don't seem really anxious to put one on him because they're not fully ready to anticipate him coming back yet. They don't want to put that pressure on him. But um, 
So given all the injuries, given where they are in the standings, and given where the roster is right now, um, what is your honest assessment of the Indians heading into the postseason and how they stack up against the other AL competitors? Because, you know, between the Yankees and the Astros and, heck, even the wildcard teams, the A's and the Rays are playing really great baseball right now. And then, of course, the Twins have... We've been waiting for them to come back to earth, and they just haven't. They've been playing, obviously hitting the crap out of the ball um, and pitching well enough to uh, to uh, stay on top of things. So where do the Indians stand heading into this uh, postseason, if they even make it at all? Are they going to have enough to be able to last against these other teams? Because they got a lot of uh, heavyweights to go up against if they make it into uh, the divisional round series and beyond. Yeah, as far as the playoff spot goes, I don't really have a whole lot of faith because um, if you go into a wild card game with with Mike Freeman as your starting third baseman and Ryan Flaherty or Andrew Velasquez at second or Freeman at second and Chang at third, if that ever happens again, um, I just don't feel all that confident in the lineup. Um, hopefully everything's okay with Fran Reyes' family. I know he's missed the last two games yesterday and today with a personal matter. You know, hopefully everything's okay there. Um, you know, family comes first, but the Indians definitely do need his bat big time. And they're going to need it against uh, the Phillies this weekend and then in the final weekend in Washington. Heck, they might even need Reyes to play the outfield because the Indians are playing the final weekend of the year in a National League park and no DH. But I really have my doubts about the lineup being good enough to win a playoff game now. Hopefully they'd have to have um, – Bieber or Clevenger lined up to, to start the wild card game, and I assume because the wild card game is a Wednesday that one of them has to be on normal rest for the wild card game because um, the latest one of them would pitch a Saturday. So they would be, let's see, one, two, three. Well, yeah, it'd be close. One, one, two, three, four. It'd be really close. One of them had to pitch on Friday, I think. Um, for them to be on normal rest for the Wednesday start. I think the wild card game is a Wednesday. So it's going to be close. They're going to need one of them for that, and they're going to need the offense. I just – the bullpen isn't really trustworthy. I know Carrasco has not been as good as we had hoped out of the bullpen, which is understandable, but I think they were hoping you know, he'd be a little more ready to do this, and maybe he still will be down the stretch. There's still a lot of – you know, there's still 10 games left after tonight. Um if they get Brad Hand back, maybe I don't know. I'm, I'm just a little skeptical of, of, of some of the guys in the bullpen, like Nick Goody, and um, just struggling the last few weeks. And the offense just having so many injuries to overcome that, and and just have hope the starting pitching to carry you in a playoff game, or even let alone get in. I'm I'm a little weary that they're going to get in. I just don't know if they're going to have enough offense to survive Philadelphia and, and Washington and. Like you said, Chicago is really, really pesky. Yeah, I, I uh, don't want to rule out the White Sox and anything when you play them this season because obviously they got a Cy Young contender and Lucas Giolito, so don't rule them out. But they, they, they got a young and hungry team, and I kind of was anticipating that uh, this season that that was going to be the case, and sure enough, that has proven to be. Proven to be the case, but um, my biggest concerns heading into the postseason would be in the bullpen and in with the offense. I think the starting rotation has enough to be able to hold up uh, beyond 
beyond, you know, Clevenger and Bieber. And obviously those two are going to be relied on pretty heavily. But I think that between how uh, Savali has pitched and uh, how uh, Plezak has pitched and even how Plucko has pitched, I think they can mix and match enough. Now still, they're going to have to go up against tough lineups like the Yankees, the Astros, and the Twins. But um, still, it's going to be... Um, tough uphill battle, but that bullpen really scares me, with, especially if Brad Hand, even if he comes back, you know he's not going to be 100%, and then uh, Crasco will be ready for big key game situations, and then beyond that, you have your normal concerns with guys like uh, Adam Simber, Nick Wickman, uh, and uh, the other guys uh, who have been shaky as of late, Nick Goody, and uh, I think Tower, if anybody, Tower Clippers is going to have to step up in a big way because he has the most experience and has the most upside of any of those relievers in there. So um, if Brad Hand's not fully ready to uh, get back to uh, dominant closing uh, capacity, then I think a lot of a lot of this is going to fall on Tyler Clippard's shoulders just because of his seniority and you know he's been there and done that. Yeah, Clippers and probably their best reliever. Wickren's been pretty good this month, or since the second half. Wickren's been pretty consistent, save for a few outings. Oliver Perez has been pretty consistent uh, this year, so you have that, but he shouldn't face right-handers, and they try to pair him with Simber. And obviously, Simber's had his issues, so in a wild-card game, you'd have to hope that you get seven from Bieber or Clevenger if one of those two is pitching, and then... Uh, yeah, like you said, they'd have to go with Clippard and then uh, some combination of Perez and somebody else for the last couple. But as we see in playoff games, starters don't always make it that deep. Um, but maybe that'll change for the Indians because their pitch, their starting pitchers are so good that they have to ride them more than the bullpen. And I, I guess it's going to depend on how things go the last 10 games. But I really hope James Karen checks on that, can find a way to prove himself to be getting up on that roster, because if they get in the playoffs, I think they really need him. Yeah, I would love to see that, because I think that he has the kind of stuff, even if, you know, he's so fresh and teams might figure him out eventually, I think that there's not going to be enough time for the uh, for the word to get out on figure out how to uh, get a playbook going on him just because he's so new to the majors. Um, so that might work to the Indians' advantage. But um, I will say if there's one thing that might work in the Indians' favor is compared to the last couple of years where they've been ousted in the first round um, is the fact that the offense, even though because they've had so many injuries and you know inconsistency uh, from guys like uh, Ramirez, you know Lindor obviously had the injury early on in the year, and now Ramirez is out indefinitely because of an injury. Um, this offense has had to learn how to adapt and learn how to pick up the slack a little bit more than, you know, the last couple of years where it was if Lindor and Ramirez weren't weren't uh, playing well, the offense was almost non-existent. Now I'm not saying that isn't still a factor to some extent because they're the two best hitters in your lineup, uh, except for now Carlos Santana's back in the mix, so he uh, help, definitely helps things uh, in the middle of the order, but. Um, I think the adaptability of the lineup is probably a little bit better this year than it was the last couple of years. So that might work to their favor, having 
uh, you know, Santana in the middle of the lineup, Perez and Mercado are hitting the ball better, and Puig is, and Reyes are in there as well. So I think that, you know, yeah, you're going to have guys like Mike Freeman and Andrew Velasquez uh, at as your start, two of your starting infielders potentially, which is ugly to think about. But um, at the same time, I think that, in terms of being able to adapt and pick up the slack, this lineup is more uh, equipped for that than they were the last couple of years. Yeah, the top four or five is, is pretty solid. You got Lindor, Mercado, Santana, Puig, and, um, well, if Reyes isn't hit fifth, it was Chipness trying to bridge the gap between Puig and Reyes, and they keep putting Freeman there, so that is what it is. But you at least have five out of the top six that are really good, and. Yeah, a year ago it was what Frankie Brantley, um, Jose, who was struggling at the time. Uh, ooh, I don't even know who had cleanup last. Who had cleanup in the playoffs last year? Was it Yandy Diaz and uh, was it Yonder Alonso or was it was it Josh Donaldson? I can't even remember. But man, that was a weird lineup. Just looking back at it, Gomes was Gomes was solid at that point. But, I mean, yeah, you were hoping that you got something out of Yanni Diaz or Yonder Alonso last year. Kipnis was struggling more last year than he did this year, I feel like. Um, yeah, I really – it's so weird. It was a year ago, but I almost don't remember who was on that roster at times. It was such a weird end of the year, the way they did things. And Melky Was Melky um, in that mix too? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Although, shoot, maybe I'd take Melky Cabrera this year over Jake Bowers at this point. Um <laughs> given where they are in the season with the injuries without having Naquin um, as well. I'll be curious to see how they mix and match going forward. I'd like, I know the numbers have been great for Jordan Luvlo against right-handers, but I'd really like to see him play a little bit more. I really enjoyed watching him this year in his swing and wonder if there's a chance to get him some more reps against right-handers because he hit right-handers fine in the minor leagues. It wasn't like he only, you know, mashed against lefties. He hit both right-handers and left-handers well in, in the minors. So I'd be curious to see if he can get a little more playing time. But with how good Santana's been this year, that's an upgrade over. Oh, I forgot Edwin was here last year, but Edwin was. Edwin had the. I think he had a wrist injury late in the year too, didn't he? Last season. Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, trying to think. I think I'm I'm I might be thinking back to the uh, the Yankees ALDS when he got hurt during the series. Um, well, that was the ankle injury, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so last year, I can't remember. He, I think he may have. Yeah, he he did have an injury, but he was able to come back. But he wasn't obviously wasn't at a hundred percent. So uh, that had that factored in as well. But yeah, if, in terms even as injury uh, ravaged as this lineup is now, I think I might still take it. Uh, take this year's lineup over last year's version with all of the. Um, you know there was so much inconsistency and so much so many question marks of who you know was going to produce and who wasn't and so much fell on the backs of Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez uh, whereas this year i think that the it's the uh burden is spread out a little more evenly despite uh you know all the injuries and you know the guys that they have to play and the bottom of the lineup doesn't look great but uh like i said things i think are spread out a little more evenly as far as the uh burden of responsibility to be uh to produce at the plate yeah it was just a weird lineup the way things entered i mean it was it was a very strange year last year it was almost like it wasn't enjoyable at times cuz you kind of knew the roster wasn't good enough to compete in the playoffs and you knew that division was in hand it was so strange Right. So, um, all right, let's do some compare, some comparing here. We know that, like, 
comparing it to like the 2016 team isn't really fair because they had a lot of good things working for them. But say let's compare it to the last couple of years, 2017 and 2018. Um, how do you compare this year's roster? Obviously, injuries are a big factor, but um, as far as talent and uh, viability in the playoffs, how do you feel about this team um, heading in to this final postseason stretch um, as compared to the last couple of years? Uh, down the stretch, I mean, the rest of the regular season? Yeah, and, the re- and then potentially into the playoffs if they secure a spot. Yeah, I hate to say it. Just I think if they were healthy, I think if you had Ramirez, I think even if you if you didn't have Kipnis, if you had Ramirez at least, that's only one spot down. Um, if Brad Hand was was not was the Brad Hand of the first half, I think you could piece together the rest of the bullpen, even though they weren't like world beaters, even though they were good in the first half, and they nobody could figure out why they were so good in the first half. I think you could have gotten enough out of the starting rotation and piece things together in the bullpen especially with Carrasco being out there right now. And if you could get him into a rhythm in the bullpen, I would feel better. I think I'd honestly just feel better with Jose Ramirez. That's all it is. But maybe, you know, like I said, Brad Hand too. I think without having those two reliable forces um, healthy and at their best, I I give them a 40% chance to, to grab a playoff spot because Chicago is not going to be easy. And they almost need a sweep there because – I have a hard time believing they're going to sweep either Philadelphia or Washington. And at, at that point, you almost have to take two or three from both of them as well. So I just think that I think Chicago is going to be too much trouble with the injuries they've had. And if they manage to get in, Tampa Bay put it to them in the regular season really bad. And, you know, they're good at doing all kinds of things. They hit the ball hard. They've got all kinds of pitching. And then if they have to go to Oakland, we know how they look in Oakland. They've never played. They seem to never play well out in Oakland and I'd hate to have to run into them because they do all kind of weird things in the playoffs too. And, but you know what, if they get in, anybody can win one game. If they have Bieber or Clevenger, that one game, all they need to do is hit enough for one game and get, and get 27 out. So if they get in, I give them a shot to win the one game. Um, but I'm a little bit skeptical that the injuries have just taken their toll at this point. And um, I mean, Hey, if Brad hand comes back, you know, Tuesday, next Tuesday against the White Sox, or this weekend against Philadelphia, um, you know, maybe that changes the complexion of the bullpen a little bit if he's good again. So we'll see, but um, I'm skeptical at best right now, unfortunately. But like I said, if they get in, it's a coin flip. Random thought of what if they, what if it comes down to a game 163, like where, if they're tied with the, with Tampa Bay for the last uh, for the last wild card spot. Even before the Kipnis injury, I've been saying for like a week that I think that they were going to have to play a game 163 before the Twins series. I thought, well, if they catch the Twins or a wild card spot, they may have to play a one a game 163 regardless. So I don't know how that would go because I think they have to finish in first because there's all – I know Anthony Kastrovitz tweeted all the kinds of crazy rules that go into effect if there's like a three-way tie for two spots or something. Tampa Bay gets to pick – playing two games versus one do-or-die game or whoever finishes on top or has a season record, all that gets to choose the preferential way things go down for a game 163. Um, so I don't think it would be good if they had to do that because it would it would put them in a bad spot to get ready for the wild card game because it's two days later. But uh, honestly, the way the season's gone, it would not shock me if 
if we look up and September 30th, the Indians are playing in a, a game 163 to decide if they're in the playoffs or not. It's unbelievable all the different things that could happen here. and But that's that's where we are at this point. And uh, if the Indians – last question before we kind of wrap things up. If the Indians were to miss the playoffs this year, how would you characterize the 2019 season if they did not make the postseason? Frustrating. You know, frustrating from the fact that they didn't give themselves enough depth to survive injuries, um, to, I mean, you know, getting Jose Ramirez hurt or struggling the way he did, they weren't going to come back from that anyway. You know, there's nothing you can do to replace Jose Ramirez, who was an MVP candidate in 2017 and the first half of 2018, but they didn't really give themselves a whole lot of depth options offensively to survive those injuries, and they did enough with the bullpen. They were they were exceptional at, at developing pitching and plugging all that in because all that was unexpected, obviously. Um, yeah, I just really think it's frustrating if they had just if they had just maybe added one hitter over the offseason that was really good or brought Michael Brantley back, I think they could have survived some of these injuries and hung around the play the division race a little bit longer. And if they don't make it, I think it's obviously that bad April or that bad May where they, they were good in April. You know, I, I, we didn't really, we didn't figure out how they were good in April, but they were. Um, yeah, I think they were really just a, a hitter, a good hitter short, a Michael Brantley type short of hanging around and giving themselves a better chance at the postseason. Uh, yeah, I mean, I that's definitely frustrating. I think that's the best word to describe it now. Um would you say that this was a good step forward, still a step forward in kind of this retooling effort that they started last off season? And you think that they still would have made a good progress in that effort, regardless of how the outcome of the season is? Yeah, I mean they they know who their center fielder is next year. Now that's huge, right? They know who their DH is next year. They know who the first baseman is next year. You know that Jose will be back. You'll have Lindor back. You know that Perez can hit. Um, as a starting catcher, and you know you have starting pitching options next year. So they figured a lot of things out, and I think that was one of the goals this year was to figure out what life looked like after some of these core guys moved on. And safe to say they've identified some chips here to play with um, moving on from this core. You know, they did a good job of, of ripping the Band-Aid off with Trevor Bauer and turning that into an asset. You know, we haven't even seen Logan Allen yet. Um, and Puig and Reyes have played a huge role, and Reyes is here for the next five years. So that was a huge development for them this year. There were a lot of wins, as much as I mean, as far as development and and getting ready for 2020. That's why I keep saying they have a shot to win the division next year. I don't know what Minnesota will do next year. Um, you know, they've got a pretty good system. They got some ammo to trade from. We'll see what they do. But the Indians at least have identified some building blocks uh, for next year to go along with. Lindor and Ramirez, which they didn't really have last season because they were trying to hang on and piece things together for one more playoff run before Michael Brantley left. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they still think they're in a good position for next year. It just came with a kind of a step back this season. Well, if anything else, I would agree with that sentiment and just say that um, if anything else – no matter if they make the playoffs or don't this year, if they get ousted in a wild card game or in the ALDS or whatever happens, um, I think that this year can be considered a win from that standpoint because at the very least they 
at least have started the process of keeping that uh, window of opportunity open a little bit longer and and try to make sure that they stay relevant beyond uh, 2020, 2021, because I think that they, they're starting to put the pieces in place to be able to remain competitive in the division and possibly for uh, a pennant and a World Series uh, in the next several years to come. They still have work to do. They still have some things to figure out, but I think that uh, that they've done a good job at that. So we'll go ahead and end on that note. And uh, just to look ahead to next week, we got the Tigers uh, series finale. Uh, coming up, you got Daniel Norris going against Mike Clevenger. Um, you got uh, then the Phillies coming to town. Uh, Drew Smiley is going to be facing off against Bieber. Uh, Smiley uh, coming back from multiple injuries, and I didn't even realize he was, he was with the Phillies now. He's bounced around a bit in the last couple of years. Um, then you got um, Jason Vargas uh, going against Zach Plezak, and. Uh, Sunday starter is to be determined, but Plutko will be on the mound for the Indians. And uh, after an off day Monday, then it's, then it's the uh, White Sox in Chicago, and then the Nationals in Washington to finish off the season. So, um, really quick, Justin, any thoughts on this last stretch for the Indians, and uh, how do you think it's going to shake out, and do you think it's going to have uh, a positive outcome for them in the playoff race? Uh, I hate to be negative and on a negative note. I do not think they're going to make it in. I don't. I think the injuries have just piled up at the wrong time. And um, I think playing Washington, Chicago, and Philadelphia at the end here is too tough, especially with how their lineup has been sacked with injuries and then losing to DH. So you have to put Fran Mill in the outfield, but you'll lose one extra bat. Um, and like I said, Chicago is, is really tough, and they're trying to play for next year or two. So... I think the schedule doesn't set them up very well with all the injuries they've had. So I think they'll give it a fight, though. I don't think they're going to, like, collapse, you know, under all things that happen. I don't think they're going to finish three or four games out. I just think that they're going to play well the last ten games, you know, six and four, seven and three, and I think that's just not going to be enough to keep pace with Tampa Bay. I think they're going to be just as good, and it's going to be hard to overcome how good that team is, especially when they just got Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now back. Right, so uh, well, here's hoping. First of all, that you're wrong, <laughs> and that uh, we'll sure, still I hope be I am. we'll still be looking at uh, October baseball uh, coming up over the next week and a half. Uh, we'll probably have a nice picture of what the Indians' uh, postseason hopes look like uh, by the time we reconvene next at uh, next week, because it'll be right at the end of that uh, White Sox series and heading into that National series, uh, the final uh, regular season series of the year. And again, hopefully it. it that doesn't end the season for the Indians in 2019 right there, but uh, you never know. And it, they've got an uphill battle to get make sure that they have uh, baseball to play beyond uh, September 29th. So, uh, but uh, other than that, Justin, great show tonight. We touched on a lot. And uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore baseball. You can tweet at us, uh, tell us why we're idiots for thinking the Indians are going to be knocked out in the playoffs and how we're being pessimists. Uh, But uh, no, other than that, seriously, follow us on Twitter. Ask us any kind of prospect questions, anything you want to know uh, about the farm system this year. Again, check out the Farm Report podcast, uh, the season finale 
for uh, season four of the uh, Farm Report. We did a nice extended version there. It's up on the site now and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Um, and also follow the show account at Smoke Signals IBI and follow the site account at official underscore IBI. Uh, Justin, anything you want to plug really quick before we go? Yeah, I can't commit anything right now. I'm still trying to finish the last three up, three down. As I said on the Farm Report podcast, I'm having a hard time deciding on whose stock as a prospect grows the most in 2019. Um, and just not feeling that well, I'm not going to get to it tonight. So I'm hoping to get to it sometime this weekend, maybe post a Monday. Um, then I keep saying it, and I'm hoping hoping James Harris gets back to me, being his player, uh, director of player development. But I sent him a list of questions, and he said he'd follow up with a phone call in the near future. So at some point, I hope to have that on the site. And I sent enough questions for it to be a two-parter, so let's hope that's the case. But uh, the ball is in his court. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be looking forward to that, hopefully, and uh, as well as three up, three down. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, thank you all for listening tonight, and uh, hopefully we'll have more than uh, one or two more podcasts to do um, before the season wraps. But um, if not, we definitely appreciate your listenership this year and continued support. And uh, for Justin Lada and the Smoke Signals podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.